Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. And so as we're in Haggai, last week we kicked off this series. This series will last through the summer, going through the book of Haggai. And I really spent most of last week introducing the context for this book, that the Jews had been exiled in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and then King Cyrus gives a decree that they can come back, about 50,000 Jews come back, and they can rebuild the temple. And he commissions Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, and he commands for the foundation to be laid, but yet when the foundation is laid, there's all kinds of different opinions, imagine that, and there are some people who see the foundation, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, who had seen the previous temple, and they're weeping because this foundation is smaller than the previous temple. And it breaks their heart that something that we're going to build for God would be less than what it once was. And then there's always opposition to what God's doing. And so what happened is as the foundation was laid, primarily the Samaritans, but there were others as well that began to bring opposition. And so the opposition with some of the indifference of the Jews led to the temple lying dormant for 16 years. Now, how do you walk around a city where the temple is the central point of the city and you know that you've just been brought back into freedom from 70 years of captivity, that King Cyrus has issued a decree to rebuild the temple. He's even given resources from the king's treasury and yet, somehow, some way, you just ignore this for 16 years. Well, there's five primary messages in Haggai. We're calling this series, I Am With You, The Promise of a Better Tomorrow. And in these messages, number one, he says, consider your ways. And I introduced that last week, but today I'll really hopefully uh, dive into that a little bit more. And so a lot of times you hear people say that, you know, experience is everything. And I would beg to differ a little bit. I would say there are some people who have experience and never choose to learn from their experience. And so I would say evaluated experience is everything. Your experience is only everything if you choose to learn from it and therefore move forward based upon the experience instead of repeating a bad experience. And so we're supposed to consider our ways because he was saying to them, listen, you are sowing much, but you're reaping little. Why don't you start asking some questions while the blessing of God is not occurring in your life the way it has historically in the way that I want it to occur. And then the second primary message, he says, build the house. Well, there's no question which house he's talking about here. Build my house. And he's going to say that the, the latter glory of this house is going to be greater than the former glory, even though it's smaller. 
Because, see, the power is going to be greater. Because in this second temple, one day the Messiah will even physically visit that temple. And then because the Messiah comes and because he lives for us, dies for us, raises again on the third day, and then 50 days later gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit of God lives in each and every one of us and we become the temple of God. And so he says, consider your ways, build the house, and then he says, I am with you. We learn very early in the Bible, first few pages of Genesis, that it's not good to be alone. And that's in every category. And so what we've got to understand is stop trying to do Christianity just based upon your own intellect and based upon your own discipline. And we have to know that he is with us. It's the promise of his presence. And when you have his presence, you'll begin to have peace, but then you move from just having peace to also have power that lives through you. And then number four, he says, work, for I am with you. And having grown up as the son of a bread man, all right, uh, I know a little something about work. You know, we would get to the bakery at three o'clock in the morning. I'd unload 18-wheelers and redistribute them into 10 to 15 different trucks. And everything was on a time schedule because you had to be in and out of the grocery stores by 11 a.m. You had to be in and out of the restaurants by 11 a.m. Everybody wants everything to be there for when the customers come, right? And, I mean, if, you're, if I'm working with my dad and you have your hands in get your hands out of your pocket. Nothing productive can happen with your hands in your pocket, all right? You know, if I'm just kind of walking slow, come on, speed up, speed up, speed up. He's, you know, talking to me always about walking faster. And one of the things that, one of the greatest gifts my dad gave me is a work ethic. And sometimes we super spiritualize things. And we keep asking God to do something. And yet God's going, I'm waiting on you to do something. Scripture says, return to me and I'll return to you. Scripture tells us to do all things in excellence unto him. And, and so here he just says, work. I mean, can you imagine? You know, they didn't have all the fancy equipment we have today to build something. How long and how much work did it take day and night to rebuild the temple in four years. They completed it in four years after they came back from that 16 years of letting it lie dormant. So he says, work, for I'm with you. And then lastly, he says, I will make you like a signet ring. And it's a ring that the king would wear and that it represented his authority and that he would take the, the signet on that ring and place it on important documents and seal those documents. And he says, I want each and every one of you to represent my authority, to represent my anointing. So in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month. Now when they do that, basically something important is about to happen, right? I mean, they've documented it, okay? The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil. 
governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozazak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, all right? This people says, and I'm going to break that down in just a moment, but he's going, oh, oh, I hear you. This is what is being said, all right? This people says, the time has not come. And again, we'll break that down in a moment, but that's a frequent excuse, right? Oh, it's just not the right time. The time has not come, and he goes, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Basically, he's saying, how is it not time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt? There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Oh, notice the play on words. And so as we go through this, let's kind of know who the characters are in the story. Zerubbabel, his very name means born in Babel. He was born in Babylon. He was born in the captivity. But he was the grandson of King Jehoshan of Judah, which means he's also a descendant of King David. Now, Haggai identifies Zerubbabel as the head of Judah after the exile. All right? So when King Cyrus issues his decree, Zerubbabel becomes the leader. Now, watch this. Of all of those whose spirit God had raised up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Wow. Can we apply this today? Are you the people that the spirit of God has raised up to build not just one city church, but a church for one city? Are you the remnant Are you the people that God is raising up to truly be the catalyst for revival and spiritual awakening? Are you the people who aren't going to despise the day as small beginnings, but rather you're going to believe in what God is doing, and you're going to step into it? See, Zerubbabel's great work was the rebuilding of the temple. And he laid the foundation, but like I said earlier, the Samaritans successfully put a stop to that work for 16 years. And I told you last week, if you go forward into the Gospel of John, the woman at the well, she goes, why are you talking to me? I mean, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And she goes, oh, your people say that we should worship over here in Jerusalem. My people say we should worship here. See, these offenses carry on through the generations And one generation carries the offense of a previous generation, and that's what's happened in this city, and it's happened around our country, and it happens around the world. Racism is not just an American problem, it's a sin problem that exists around the world. And so the foundation of the new temple revealed that it was going to be significantly smaller than Solomon's original temple. In Ezra chapter 3... It says this, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. 
There were others that had great joy, and there are some that wept aloud, and it said the two sounds, it was hard to distinguish what was what, which was what. It breaks my heart that I really don't see a modern-day prophet weeping over the decline of the church today. Oh, how easily we flee. Remember 9-11? We gathered together as a church for three days. Five days, a week, two weeks, then we went back. In the pandemic, online, we gather together, we prioritize watching, we prioritize praying, we prioritize giving to churches even though we can't meet in person, and all the studies reveal right now that, you know, this whole online attendance thing is decreasing, which honestly makes perfect sense to me, because we were never meant to be an informational movement, we were meant to be known by love, and we can't love one another through the screen, But what it does mean is we keep becoming more and more people of convenience, more and more people who are consumeristic. It's about what I can get out of it versus what I can give to it. But where are the people weeping that now statistics tells us that 60% of the people of attendance pre-COVID, 60% still have not returned. Churches across the country are at 40%. We need to be people who are strong and courageous. See, the prophet Haggai, he responded to their displeasure. He said, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? It's a little tongue-in-cheek. And then he comes alongside of Zerubbabel and he encourages Zerubbabel, hey, you be strong. Though there's been opposition, though there's been indifference, you have been called for such a time as this. You be strong, you stand up, you speak up. He says, now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord. And he says, work for I am with you declares the Lord. It is a time to redefine what it means to be the church. In some of the blessings that we've had, we allowed church to be defined by the Sunday morning hour. That was never God's intent. We allowed it to be defined by attending. That was never God's intent. Jesus said, follow me, don't attend me. Where's the strength of God's leaders today? Now, when I say strength, please hear me. I'm not talking about arrogant strength. I'm talking about the strength that Jesus, when he describes himself in Matthew 11, he says, I am meek and humble in heart. Meek is not weak. Meek is strength under control. Where's that kind of strength? Um, When I'm talking about strength, I'm not talking about someone that can argue as well as someone else. I'm not talking about someone that's going to give a verbal exchange that's ugly and rude and dishonoring. I'm talking about someone 
that's going to stand on the Lord's side, not take sides. See, we keep trying to take sides, and instead of taking this side or that side, we need to say, God, what's your side? We take that side. So, I mean, where's the strength of God's people today? And I'm not talking about a judgmental strength based on right or wrong, but listen, I'm talking about a strength based on love, watch, not a weak love, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never fails. That's the kind of strength we're talking about. Where's the work of God's people? See, I love that he says, work for I am with you. And by the way, you guys are doing extraordinary work, amazing work in building this temple. But the most important work we all have to do is the work of cultivating our relationship with God, allowing the Spirit of God to rest on us, and that we grow up in the ways of God so that we can prove love works to the city and beyond. All right? So I love that he says, work for I'm with you, because is there anything more meaningful than meaningful work? Like, literally, when you... Jump in, dedicate your time to something, do something meaningful, whether it's with your hands or with your brain, however it is, and you've done a job well done, there's just a sense that that goes all the way back to who God is as the creator and after his six days of creation and then the seventh, and he stands back and he looks at everything. He says, it is good. See, there's a sense when you do meaningful work, kingdom work, you're like, it is good. Is there anything better than difference-making work? So, how rewarding will it be for us to build God's house? See, we're building a place for people to experience his presence, his peace, his power. Imagine our first day. Imagine the joy. Imagine the Spirit of God. But let's pray that the Spirit of God falls upon us, that the latter glory is greater than the former glory. And that we are literally in stunned silence of the way that we have seen God work. The evidence of his goodness is all around me. The the fulfillment of his promises is all around me. See, we're building a place, watch this, for people to call home. It's more important than ever when most homes are described as either dysfunctional or divided. People need Not church, as we've known it, family. People need family. They need friends. You're going to hear me say this time and time again. Friends that encourage one another. Friends that stimulate one another's love and good deeds. Friends that carry one another's burden. Friends that when they carry one another's burden, they come alongside of one another in such a way that it's a privilege that when one member of the body has reason to rejoice, we rejoice. When another member of the body has reason to weep, we weep together. And that burden is lighter because we carry it together. 
you know, what we see here is that we need friends who inspire us to live for one another's progress and join the faith. And so we're building a home, watch, watch this, please hear this, that heals your home. We're building a home that heals your home. See, a place where children trust the Lord as their Savior. A place where you have the privilege to come alongside of Nicola in our One City Kids ministry and and to plant the seeds of the Word of God in their heart, perhaps for the first time, and to watch those seeds take root and to grow into a harvest. A place where children grow and mature in Christ. A, A place where children become men and women of God. And don't forget this one, a place where the prodigals will come home. See, we're building a place where the Spirit of God works through the people of God. You ever get bored in church? I have. You get bored when you're sitting instead of serving. And then even when you're serving, you're just kind of going through the motions versus, no, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And God can use you and use your faith to move mountains in your own life and someone else's life this morning. Oh, that's not boring. See, um, it's not boring. I I got an email this morning. I've never met these people. And they say, do you pray for healing for people who have cancer? Can you imagine? Like, there must be other churches out there that the answer is, no, we don't really do that. How have we forgotten how supernatural our God is that we have to even answer the question, much less it be completely obvious, and we have testimonies of people like Ann Hobbs in the back that cancer, she's healed of cancer. So we need a place where faith moves mountains, where healing is released, where prophetic words are spoken, where miracles are expected. And I would say those are some good reasons to work. Those things I just named, by the way, it's what differentiates us. I'm going to keep saying this and keep saying this to provide clarity. Our goal is to be kind of a bird with two wings. One wing is the word of God. One wing is the spirit of God. And we learn how to work in unison and work together. And that allows us to take flight. Versus most of the time we got, you know, one little short wing here, and then we got you know over here, and we never get off the ground, and we just go in circles. And we complain that God says this is who he is, but we don't see much evidence of it. What's going to make us different is what he does in you, what he does through you, and that the power's not in the programming, but the power's in the people. Haggai 1 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And so what a convenient excuse, right? Well, um, why hasn't it come? Is God up there on his clock going, no, um, even though I issued a decree from King Cyrus, 
even though I've supplied everything, and even though I've laid the foundation, I'm just going to wait another year. No, I'm going to wait five more. Ten's not enough. Sixteen's just right. When is the time right when our heart's right? The moment you just see the word yes begin to emerge in your spirit, build into the word yes. See, what's going to make it the right time? Now watch this. Every excuse paves the way for the next excuse. And the next excuse is easier than the last excuse. It became much easier for them to ignore the temple, let it lie in ruins after five years than it was the first year. And it became easier after ten years than it was the first year. You know why? Because our hearts get hard. And a hard heart frequently is an overexposure to truth with an under-response to it. So what's needed for a group of people to reverse 16 years of excuses and disobedience? Watch this. Most people don't change with suggestions. You know, I really suggest that you should go back and consider your ways and evaluate what God has said and do something. No, most people need godly leaders who listen to God and say what God says versus what people want to hear. They need godly leaders who will say what they hear, not edit what they hear or compromise what they hear. They need godly leaders who will stand against the enemies, and they need godly leaders who will confront apathy. What do you typically need to change a pattern of disobedience? You have to go from a hard heart to a soft heart, or let me say it this way, from an insensitive heart to a sensitive heart. But hard hearts require truth spoken in love. Where are those voices in our culture today where we hear the truth spoken but it's not being screamed at us or yelling at us. But we, we see the love behind the truth. And therefore we respect the truth all the more because it's in the context of love. See, hard hearts require some type of confession and, and, and repentance. Let's go to verse 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves? Or it wasn't time to build my house. But is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So the Lord makes it personal here. The time has not come. But then he says, but apparently the time has come for you. It's just not come for me. Why is it time for our house, my house, your house to be more important than God's house. And I'm not saying this in the context of what we're doing right now at One City. I believe God's doing something remarkable. I'm just teaching through the book of Haggai and trying to be faithful to the text. And I believe we are an apostolic movement 
And what I mean by that as an apostolic movement is I believe God's given us ability to not only lead our church, but to lead other leaders and to come alongside of other leaders and to strengthen the church as a whole and to strengthen other movements that represent him. And so we have a vision that's much bigger than just our house individually. We care about every house in this city. There are over 3,000 churches in this city. But before the pandemic, there was only like 20 actually growing. Listen to this. Hard questions are appropriate and needed. So who has permission to ask hard questions in your life? Be honest. Like, I'd encourage you to really evaluate that question and write down some thoughts. I mean, who do you respect enough? Who are you close enough to that you literally give them permission to ask hard questions in your life? Who do you receive the hard truths from? And when's the last time you received a hard truth? And when you did receive that hard truth and you began to change your ways, take off the old, put on the what changed? Not every truth, and I'm going to talk about blessing in just a moment. Not every truth is an easy truth. Anyone ever been a parent? Not every truth is an easy truth, okay? So, if God doesn't have permission to speak hard truths, then who does? And it's important for us to understand that God chooses to speak hard truths through the family of God. And the, one of the many reasons why it's important for us to be family and not strangers, to be family and not acquaintances, to truly be friends, is because if we don't have relationship, we will not speak hard truth. And if we don't have relationship and we do speak hard truth, then we're going to offend someone and send someone away because really hadn't earned the right to speak that truth. So how are we going to change without the hard truths? All right, I'm going to bless you incredibly right here in this statement. Stop being offended. Oh, my gosh. Now, listen. We live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. Offense is going to happen. Offense is inevitable. Being offended is optional. I'll try. Offense is going to happen. It's inevitable. But being offended is optional. Offense is an event that happens. Being offended is a decision. God speaks a lot of truths that if they're taken out of context and they're taken out of relationship, they could be very offensive. But when you know the heart of the father speaking to the children and you know that he is good, then all of a sudden you trust what he says. Okay, we're almost done. Verse 6. Remember, he just said, consider your ways. 
And so after he says, consider your ways in verse 5, here comes verse 6. You have sown much, but harvest little. Oh, that's terrible. That means, I mean, you're working a 50, 60-hour week, and it's the equivalent of making 30 hours worth of work. Profit. But there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. Don't take that line out of context. (laughs) All right. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put them into a purse with holes. You keep putting your money in the purse, and it keeps disappearing. So why are we getting limited results? It goes very back to the first commandment of God. You shall have no other gods before me. Why are we getting limited results? They weren't doing God's work God's way. You've got to do God's work God's way. See, they were focused on their priorities and they were focused on their preferences. Now, I've taught this principle before. There are certain principles that it is no trouble for me to repeat to you, right? Because we forget quickly. So let me ask this question. Were they blessable? Everyone wants a blessing. Were they blessable? Here's what we have to understand. God doesn't bless disobedience. That would be inconsistent with who he is. As a parent, you tell your son or daughter to do something, they go, no. And you go, oh, I'm just going to bless you anyway. No, you don't. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Do we ask God to bless our disobedience? Watch this. I think more times than not, we don't realize it, but I think we accidentally do. See, I'm not really consecrating myself but I'm still asking for the wonders of God to be done among me. See, I'm not really delighting myself in the Lord, but I'm still asking for the desires of my heart. See, I'm not really abiding, but I'm still asking for fruit, more fruit, much fruit. I'm not really walking by the Spirit, but I'm still asking for the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to be blessed, do God's work God's way. It's really that simple. Now let me close. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14. I may or may not read all of it, but you should read all of it in your own time. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. Now it shall be. It's a pretty great introduction. You should listen up. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey, not conveniently obey, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful, not careless, to do all of his commandments, which I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you. Now watch this. And overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. How would you like to be overtaken by blessings? Amen. Now here's the thing. There's not a neutral option. If you're not overtaken by blessings, you'll be overtaken by consequences. He says, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. 
Blessed shall be the offspring of your body. Who doesn't want that? That's what we want more than anything. And the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beast. Any of y'all got any beast out there? <laughs> Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall be you when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. Wow, that's pretty significant. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command, he commands a blessing. How many times do you, when you think about commands, you go, oh, I can't wait for the blessing. You go, oh, I don't know about that command. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and all that you put your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Listen to the goodness of your father. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. As he swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. There's a proper context for anyone who takes that out of context. So don't ignore the truth because you've seen people take it out of context. There's a proper context. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. In the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beasts, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give you rain in its season, to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not We're, you shall lend to many nations. I don't want to lend, I want to give. There's a church that we come alongside of and that we partner with and we help sponsor called Heart City Church in Columbus, Ohio. Extraordinary people. And they're in the process of trying to secure their first building. I'm going to talk to you more about this, but while we're building our building, I want us to bless someone else building their building. While we don't have enough money, like I was walking my son and his girlfriend through the building the other day and I was casting the vision and saying, we're going to do this, 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 we're going to do this. And the thought dawned on me, we don't have any money to do any of it. (laughs) But we're still going to do it. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. We all been the tail before. And you, on, and you only will be above and you will not be underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully. And do not turn aside from any of my words, which I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods and serve them. If you want to be blessed, consider your ways. That's not a short conversation. Go before the Lord and say, I want to consider my ways. Will you show me what you would like to change? Would you show me what you would like to adjust? 
would you show me how to where something's more of a priority and it should be kind of reordered? So consider your ways. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Hear the promise of blessing. And obey him so the blessing will come in fullness. The blessing is waiting on you to say yes to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not a greedy God. He's not a selfish God. He's a God that wants to bless. And so right now, we're going to enter into a time of response. If there's someone here who's never received the blessing of trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, becoming a son or daughter, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and give you opportunity. And then after that, if there's someone here that you don't feel like you've experienced many blessings lately. It's a dry season for you. There'll be people up here that want you just come and say, hey, would you pray a blessing over me? Would you pray for God to increase my delight? See, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. It'll give you the desires of your heart. And we go, I want the desires of my heart. Don't we all? We'll just increase a little bit of delight over here. Let's begin to see what happens. So, the thing I would encourage you to do is listen to the Spirit and wherever He says obey, give Him a yes and obey. Now watch this. The blessings don't always occur overnight. you got to sow the seed in the ground. you got to water that seed. And there's oftentimes a season that's the planting season, the nurturing season, before it's the harvest season. Sometimes in the abundant grace of God, a blessing will occur overnight. But I promise you, here's what I know for certain. He's a blesser. And he loves to bless. You know, just seeing my son here on the front row, my daughter is in Nashville this weekend. I can't think of anything I love to do more than bless them. I can't think of anything that brings me more joy than blessing them. I only want more to be able to bless them more. Where does that come from? It's the heart of the Father. So if you'll pray with me. If you've never truly experienced the blessing of becoming a son or daughter, I invite you to pray this prayer. Just say, God, forgive me of my sin. It just means I've missed the mark. It means I'm imperfect. Forgive me of my sin. And then you say, God, not only that, but I repent of my sin. It just means I changed my mind. I don't want to do what I've always done. And then third, God, I place my faith in your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you can say it this way. You can just say, save me, Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus. 
And the moment you say that, your spirit is quickened. Your spirit goes from death to life. And there's a desire that rises up in you. You say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.